tomorrow the flood from there is nothing to fear by santissime read by sam gabriel based on the works of jk rowling chapter 3 padfoot a dog who loves him the smell of blood is full in the air and on the grass it raises padfoot's hackles for mixed in the thickness of it is his scent but nowhere is padfoot allowed to pursue him move mart people say and stay back old boy and not place for a dog and they shoo padfoot away from the search padfoot wanders into the forest but his scent is absent there and padfoot returns to the castle full of his scent and the odor of several hundred children everyone is worried upset anxious and it makes padfoot anxious drives a tremble through padfoot's steps and makes padfoot pant padfoot finds some comfort with a student who finds comfort with padfoot she scratches padfoot between the shoulder blades and holds padfoot close and says that padfoot is being very good then another person enters the hallway the professor who smells like goblins and cherry syrup and comes up a little past padfoot's shoulder Riddle is alive, he says, looking Padfoot in the eye. You can guess where to find him. Padfoot bounds away, almost leaping all the way up the stairs and down the halls to his office. Padfoot paces and barks a little to make it known that Padfoot is present, and then lays down, patient, until a passage opens and Padfoot ascends another flight of stairs. To him. He has the look of distraction, the acrid and sulfurous scent of distress, fresh and strong and full in the air while he stares across his desk at an empty space in the chair on the other side. At Padfoot's approach, he awkwardly twists a ring off his finger and slips it into one of the inner pockets of his voluminous black dark robes. He slips down to the seat of his chair, too slowly to call the movement a collapse, too controlled to call it easy. Padfoot sits beside his chair and raises a paw to rest upon his knee, looks up to his face. Not far off, in a heap on the desk, is a silver shimmering cloth. It smells familiar, in a way that gnaws painfully at Padfoot, like a rat that mistook deep sleep for death, sharp and sudden, and gone as soon as Padfoot stirs. The pain isn't important, the cloth isn't important— the scent isn't important, but it lingers anyway. The more important thing is that he is still preoccupied. Padfoot can guess why. He is missing most of his arm, and the scent of fire is still present, albeit not so fresh that it makes Padfoot's tail tuck itself away or tremble. But the smoky, rancid smell of burnt flesh, and the bitter stench of adrenaline, and the dark blood on his face— Padfoot understands what these things point to, and Padfoot wonders whether someone, maybe someone that Padfoot can fetch, might have kept him safe. Padfoot whines softly, the sympathetic whine, and softly noses the side of his leg. Pay attention to something else, Padfoot means. Pay attention to Padfoot. It works, and he looks over and scratches Padfoot behind the ears. The sensation is pleasant all the way down to Padfoot's tail, 
and not just because he already looks calmer and relaxed. Padfoot makes to lay down when he stops scratching, maybe rest across his feet, but he stands and pats Padfoot on the head. Beneath his fingers, the silver shimmer fabric is straightened and folded and slipped into the interminable darkness of his robes, but the scent lingers, its presence as plain to Padfoot as the light of the sun. "'Come along on a walk with me, Padfoot,' he says. And Padfoot follows him out into the hall, tail wagging fiercely. Padfoot doesn't look back except to glance briefly, oh, briefly, at the empty space where Padfoot remembers the passing presence of a strange moon-gleam fabric. Invisibility cloak, Padfoot thinks. But that is wizard's work, no longer Padfoot's concern, but Padfoot feels concern anyway. They avoid both staff and students, he and Padfoot together, and take secret passages which only he and Padfoot know, but he still applies an unbroken mask as they walk. The masks make Padfoot's fur bristle, just a little. Everyone smells the same beneath those night-black robes, and then Padfoot doesn't know who anybody is, least of all him. Outside, they pass almost like a shadow at night, below and beyond the notice of the wizards who remain at work here. I should have suspected something when she came to us with the port key in her hands, he says. But Padfoot only listens a little. There is so much else in the world that demands attention, pulling Padfoot's nose here and there and everywhere. The heavy, dark syrup of freshly wounded wood the sharp musk of the deer and the scratching of its antlers against the tree, the sweet clover scent of the bear whose claws mar that same bark, the sour, rooty odor of hummus earth, full of the soft decay of worms and mushrooms, life blossoming in the black soil. I'm quite sure I know what their investigation will show. But suspicions exist to be tested, he says. But elsewhere, the promise of rain, and the mild breeze that conveys that promise, and the murmur of the good stream only a short trot away, ripe tan yellow grass, and a trail of brown black blood, metallic and fresh, betelling a hunt of deer and bear. On another day, another hour, Padfoot might follow that trail and chew on what remains from the bear's hunt or even scare away the bear if the savor is strong on Padfoot's nose and the bear is full enough to be cautious. Padfoot is a great big dog and fierce and clever, and Padfoot's barks are a terror. The great lords of the forest can smash Padfoot with one swipe of their paws when they are hungry enough to stand their ground, but Padfoot is a mighty dog, enough to best a bear who is wise and full enough to know the better part of valor. Padfoot doesn't know how long their journey lasts. Every moment is eternal while it lasts and effervescent when it passes. All that can be said is that there is a moment when they arrive at a glade. There is a little break in the forest canopy where a beam of light might shine through at noon, but the hour is late and Padfoot can only see a few stars through the clearing of the branches. And the brightest thing in the dark is the light of his wand. But that light is enough for Padfoot, whose eyes are keen and perfect. Padfoot knows that there are more numerous and more vibrant colors to his eye, 
but the thought of them seems overwhelming, and in exchange for those colors he cannot see nearly so well as Padfoot in the half-light that embraces them now. Padfoot has it better. He removes his mask, and Padfoot's tail wags to see his face again. I buried Dumbledore here, or I thought I had, he says. And Padfoot growls softly, pleasant and satisfied. Padfoot understands burying. He is here with Padfoot at the sight of a treasure, at a cache of something precious. But below the growl is something fierce as well. Yes, Albus was our enemy, he says, speaking to himself or replying to the undercurrent in Padfoot's voice. But for all that, he was worthy of my respect. And I felt concerned that some on our side might hate him, perhaps enough to desecrate his grave regardless of what I said on the subject. He smiles, and it does nothing to upset Padfoot's heart or twitch Padfoot's claws, because Padfoot knows that the smile of a man is not like the smile of a dog. If there is a fault in our friends, then it is that they are too zealous for my sake. He crouches low and plants his mask into the ground like a plank of wood, then reaches to the earth and scoops up a handful of soil. It falls between his fingers like the sand of an hourglass. I like to visit him. I like to talk to him, or to what is left of him. No Death Eater and no Spectre, just Tom and Albus. He sighs. He turns to Padfoot and scratches Padfoot beneath the chin, and his eye looks into Padfoot's eyes, their heads level with each other. Fetch Sirius for me, he asks, and... The world twists around Padfoot, and it is twisted around Sirius, and time becomes and has become full of have-beens and what was. The world is present to a dog, and it was full of the past to a man. Sirius stumbled. Quicker than Sirius could register the action, Riddle reached forward with his arm and caught Sirius by the collar as he straightened himself, and then they stood upright together, feet steady, heads high. Sirius breathed, and the air felt heavier than when it had filled Padfoot's lungs. It wasn't pleasant to be Sirius. His body felt foreign, his senses dulled in some ways and too sharp in others. But far more than that, when Sirius was Padfoot, the thoughts fell away, and when he was Sirius they returned, nipping sharply and unceasingly at his mind's heels. It was hard. But even Padfoot knew what duty was. Padfoot maybe even knew better than Sirius did. I trust that you remember my conversation with Padfoot, Riddle said. Most of it. He was distracted on your way here. That's fine. There are bones that have been buried here. I want you to excavate them, Riddle said. And before Sirius could ask for it, he was handed his wand. Fifteen inches and a third, cornelian cherry, springy and dragon cord. Sirius smiled wanly. Are you sure that this isn't a job for Padfoot? Now, please. 
the work was slow because it was performed with care, and when Sirius reached the bones, he touched them by hand and turned them over in the moonlight. What did you notice missing? Sirius looked back at the little ossuary that he had assembled, and thought back to what he had learned as an auror, and what he had experienced as more than an auror. He had spent most of his time making bodies stop working, sometimes forever and sometimes temporarily, but in the process Sirius had learned a thing or two about how bodies were supposed to go, and he liked to think that he knew his way around a skeleton. Padfoot might have had trouble at this point. Padfoot didn't like thinking about those things, just like Padfoot didn't like thinking about... about invisibility cloaks. No, about that invisibility cloak. His nose was worse than Padfoot's, but he could still remember, and that smell. Sirius shook his head. He was getting off track. It took a while for Sirius to pour over the bones, but that was all right. Beetle didn't give timed exams without saying so, but sometimes he asked misleading questions. I don't notice anything missing, Sirius said, and Brittle nodded his head. He was disappointed, but Sirius didn't have to be Padfoot to know that Riddle's disappointment lay with the situation and not with anything that Sirius had said. I did not notice anything missing either, Riddle said. There are further tests that can be performed to verify that these are human bones, and that they have not been magically altered since I laid them here. But I would be surprised if the result surprised me. I will send someone to check his father's grave as well, but I know what they will find, too. As Riddle spoke, Sirius realized that his disappointment didn't lay solely with the circumstances. Part of it lay with Riddle himself. In some ways it would be better to learn that Dumbledore had reached beyond his usual grasp, and clutched at me from beyond the veil. But I think that I must admit it. Dumbledore did not meddle in the dark arts. He simply tricked me. Sirius thought back to what Riddle had said to Padfoot, and looked upon the bones again. Sam, Padfoot doesn't have the best sense of time. So I'm not really sure. But I think it's been at least a year since we last spoke. Almost two years, Riddle agreed. And don't call me sir, I'm not your professor. His tone was wistful. What I mean is, I think that I'm missing a part of the puzzle here. Most everyone is. Albus Dumbledore is alive, Riddle said. Worse, he never died. There are methods, darker arts than ever I taught you, by which he might have returned from death, Riddle added before he could be asked. Inferior methods, all of them, and part of me is pleased that he thought the same, and part of me is pleased that I am not facing a misshapen mind that might have been driven to madness. But part of me is also embarrassed by the deception by the fact that I could be taken in by him. Had he already divined the outlines of my strategy? Or was he able to concoct that entire diversion in the mere minutes that were available to him? Riddle closed his eye, shook his head, smiled. I digress. 
He thought that these were his bones. Well, they weren't, Sirius said, just to make sure that he understood. Polyjuice holds no power over a corpse. The bones are his in a sense. But if I had not been goaded into killing him too quickly, which was why he taunted me in retrospect, then those bones, that body, would probably have turned into someone else's. He might have had only minutes remaining. I would curse myself if I thought it would do any good, but it hardly matters now. The Death Eater is greater than that. Polyjuice, Sirius muttered, hardly paying attention to what Riddle had said. Polyjuice? I think that I smelled Polyjuice this year. I'm sure that you did. We gathered kindling three times this past year. Sadly, Jupiter Sinistra was lost to us before his emulation, though not entirely. I have a few drams of his name. With time and with care, it may be possible to extrapolate the remainder of his virtue. But we are not here to discuss logistics. We were discussing Dumbledore. No, not like that, Sirius interrupted. Not a Death Eater. Uh, the Death Eater, Riddle corrected. There is only ever one. Riddle seemed to hold Sirius fast with his eye, as if it were hot and baleful, sharp as an arrow, firm like iron. His attention returned to the scattered bones. Some day we won't need the kindling, Riddle said. Some day all that the Death Eaters will need is their face. And then the emulation will come all at once, like lightning out of a clear sky. I might have devised a method already, if I had mastered the death stick as I thought. His sole remaining hand stuck into the robe, fingers moving behind the fabric. There are better wands in other respects, but that wand knew the stone. And for all that I have been able to improve upon Cadmus Peverell's work, there are subtleties which I am no closer to conquering today than I was ten or twenty years ago. Power and wisdom have not been sufficient to the day. Arcane dexterity is required as well. And in this I have been failed by every wand that has been put to my hand. Sirius couldn't smell the invisibility cloak, not like Padfoot but the memory of that scent pulled at his thoughts in a way that would have left Padfoot undisturbed. Padfoot was a creature of the present moment. That was what endeared Sirius to him, and if he had been permitted to, Sirius would have fetched him straight away, rather than stand in place and remember, wonder, think. There was someone else using Polyjuice this year. Someone who wasn't wearing the Death Ears robes, Sirius said and his thoughts returned to what Padfoot had smelled. Someone who was at Hogwarts for a long time, not just once or twice. What else does Padfoot remember? That sometimes there was only the smell, but Sirius didn't say so. That sometimes there was another smell, reminiscent of a fainter memory, almost a ghost, but Sirius remained silent. It ate at him, it curled in his stomach like a dragon of nausea, something around the corner that he couldn't bear to see but already knew. 
I think that they were a student from Durmstrang, he said instead. Sometimes there was only a smell in the air because sometimes the boy wore an invisibility cloak. James had an invisibility cloak, Sirius remembered, and it was irrelevant, or so it should have been, but he couldn't help but remember that other scent. Moderately familiar, almost familial, like James and unlike him. Fleamont and Euphemia had been that way, relatives often were. Somebody who wanted to imitate James would have his smell, not this ersatz, almost James smell, which was strongest when the stink of polyjuice was weakest, and there were lots of things that Sirius doubted, but Padfoot's nose wasn't one of them. But how could James have a, a sibling? A close cousin, maybe? Someone who smelled that much like James, skulking around with polyjuice and an invisibility cloak, with that invisibility cloak, hiding. His breath hitched in his throat. There were strangers killed James, and there was hardly anything left of him, nothing more than a few pieces, barely fit to be called a person's body. Riddle had confirmed his death, confirmed their guilt. If James was alive or had been somehow... Then Riddle surely would have known. But Riddle couldn't have lied to him, wouldn't have lied to him. But he had done so. The truth of that was staring him in the nose, or rather Padfoot's, and Padfoot's nose was as faithful as Padfoot. But then why would Riddle have lied to him? Why would he have needed Sirius to believe that James was dead? And why did Riddle have that invisibility cloak, James's cloak? The pain of that betrayal was worse than any physical wound he could imagine, as if an old scar across his soul had been ripped anew. His wand was back in his hand before he realized it, and the incantation of a curse on his lips. Riddle moved a hair more slowly than Sirius remembered more awkwardly, and with only his off hands to wield a wand, and Sirius moved like fire. And it was not enough. Even if Riddle had only one arm, he was still in practice. And Sirius hadn't even been bipedal for the past couple of years. Sirius's wand moved as quick as a snap, but in a breath his wand was on the ground and his right arm hung useless at his side, rubbery and boneless. With another slash and twist of Riddle's wand, Sirius went rigid, limbs locked to his side, and fell backward like a solid plank of wood. Riddle looked down at him, eye blazing, eye weighing down upon him, and Sirius closed his eyes. The zeroth rule of Occlumency was to know nothing, but failing that it was sufficient just to deny the battle. The zeroth rule. Where had he heard that term? Something else from Padfoot, but Sirius kept the memory at bay while Riddle jinxed his eyelids open. Where had Padfoot heard that? The boy, of course, the child who drank so much, not alcohol like the boy had said. The flask smelled of wine, but it smelled more strongly of polyjuice. His body felt cold, while Riddle pillaged his thoughts with such force that his stomach turned. There was a foul stench in the air and fire in his throat, and absently Sirius noticed that he had vomited. His limbs strained against the body bind knowing that they should clench and twist and claw the air but locked in place, 
while memories rose to his awareness purposeful and disordered, like books that had been thrown to the floor to open at random. Finally, Sirius returned to himself. Riddle stood above him, tall and terrible like an ancient fir, wand away and mask in hand. His gaze was fixed upon the mask, and Riddle followed his eye to look on it as well. Everything is much clearer when I wear this. Not like when you exchange with Padfoot, but perhaps not entirely dissimilar. Alternate ends of a spectrum, Riddle suggested. I am refined, like an alchemical transmutation of lead to gold. I am ennobled into a different and higher element. Riddle closed his eye for a moment. I become the Death Eater, he said. I would have liked to leave you in your retirement. I would have been willing to let you die, too, if you had asked for it. But you have talents that have lain fallow for these past few years. And the time is coming to beat plowshares into swords. Slowly, almost as if he were reluctant to do so, Riddle pressed the mask against his face, one face upon another. And when he exhaled, it was like a baleful wind had been let out, crackling like a locust swarm. For the full text of this and other stories by the same author, visit the archive of our own page of Call Me Saltisside. The music is Amon Ra by Days Witch under a Creative Commons license with assistance from 1T1. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.